I feel like, I feel like, in my spirit, and Pastor Brad kind of felt it too, there's just some people going through some stuff. And we had a message in tongues and then an interpretation of that um, that kind of confirmed that too. Which, by the way, if, that, if you're not familiar with something like that happening in church, um, it was a very common occurrence in the New Testament church. You can find it all through the Bible. It's patterned in Scripture where you have um, someone speaking a message from God in a heavenly language and then someone giving an interpretation of that. Now, you do see that abuse sometimes in church circles, um, but we, we don't let that junk happen here at this church. Um, we try to be on the up and up and let God speak to us. So that's the common occurrence in a New Testament church. Amen? That's the way it should be. Um, but I really feel like it's all leading up to this message. Now, we haven't taken an offering yet. We haven't uh, honored our veterans yet today, and we're going to do all of that as we get, you know, after we get done with what God wants to do. To me, as a pastor, that's, that's the cake. Everything else is just the icing that goes on it. I want God to do what God wants to do in our lives. End of story. That's it right there. We get that, we've had a great service. You can put all the bells and whistles on a shelf. Um, and we try to do everything with excellence and make things fun here. But, man, when God is moving, you shut it down and you let God move. Amen. Amen. Larry, if you will, I'm bouncing and ringing like crazy up here again. Please drop me considerably in the house to fix that problem. If you've got your Bibles, open them up or your tablets or your phones. Open them up to the book of Luke. Um, the notes for today's message also available on the YouVersion Bible app. We're in a series called Red Letters, and we're looking at some really powerful statements that Jesus made while he was here on this earth. And we've just kind of been picking them apart and digging into them because you know there's just layers upon layers available in the Word of God. You never hit the point where you just master everything that it says. God can always speak something new to you every day. Amen? So when you think you got it, you don't have it. God can always show you something new. And so we've been looking at some of the deeper things connected to what Jesus has been saying. We're going to look at Luke chapter 22 today and see what God's going to be speaking to us. And I believe it flows beautifully with what's been going on today. And he took the bread, talking about Jesus, gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, them being the disciples. This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus has gathered his disciples together for one last Passover meal before he's crucified. We call this the Last Supper. The reason why we do communion is to follow Jesus' command to do this in remembrance of what he's doing here. We're going to dig into this today because there's a little bit more under the layer of this that I believe God wants to show us. Verse 20, it says this, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We're going to look at the word covenant this morning. What it means 
and really what I believe God wants to speak to us today and remind us as his people. New covenant in my blood. That word covenant is used in scripture over 300 times. So it's pretty important. It's a common theme in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Um, the Hebrew word for covenant actually means this. It means to cut until blood flows. So if you want to get just really, really just specific, the, the Bible is broken up into two, two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament. That word testament comes from the word covenant. So you've got the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or the Old to cut until blood flows and the New to cut until blood flows. Um, the, the concept of covenant is very powerful, not just in context for what happens in Scripture, but it's very powerful for us in understanding how committed God is to us. Okay? So, in order to understand covenant, we're going to have to go way back in time and look at the life of a guy named Abram. Or Abraham. Y'all know Abraham from the Old Testament? Yeah. He wasn't always Abraham. Uh, he started out, his name was Abram. God changed his name later. But Abram was a guy who God had given a whole lot of promises to. God shows up and speaks to him. We don't really know why he chooses Abraham. Um, maybe he was an Auburn fan. Who knows? Maybe he was. <laughs> maybe. Um, Auburn's kind of beat up right now. Thank you, Georgia, for that. But so God speaks to Abram and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, give you all these promises. He goes, look, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you all of this land. And I am going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's a pretty big promise. Especially back in that day, because the, the bigger your family was, the larger your territory, the more wealth that you had the more prestige and honor. God says, I am going to make you the man, and I am going to do a work through your bloodline, and your children are going to be my blessed children, and I am going to send a special blessing through your bloodline that's going to impact the nations. Talking about Jesus. And so Abram says, that sounds awesome. So he starts out on this journey going where God had told him to go, but you know, time passes, and traveling sometimes hard, and time starts going by, and can you imagine just packing up everything and leaving just because God told you to? He's living in tents, he's dragging his family around, he's basically homeless, a nomad just wandering around in land that... He's got a promise that's probably going to, be, that's going to be his one day, but it's not right now. So he's a stranger and a foreigner in a land that he's supposed to own, but he's homeless in a territory that's supposed to be his. You ever been through a season like that? And so Abraham starts to get a little antsy, and I probably would too at this point. Um, and he goes to God. And he, begins, he just has a real heartfelt conversation with him. In Genesis chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 7, we're going to look at this conversation that he has. He's talking to, to, to the Lord, and the Lord told him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. 
Now look at what happens here. Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? How can I be sure? I've been walking around in this wilderness long enough. I'm homeless. I'm in this land. You say I'm going to possess it, but I'm homeless. It's like none of it's mine now. How can I be sure? Have you ever been in a season of life where you stepped out to walk in what you felt like God spoke to you? And you stepped out to possess a promise that God gave you in his word or a specific something to deal with his calling on your life. And he said, I'm going to do all these great things for you. And you step out into it. And you get into the process. And things aren't happening the way that you thought they were supposed to happen. Abraham's a guy well up in years, into his 90s, knocking on 100. His wife's way old. I'm supposed to have all these descendants, all these children. Time's ticking. That factory's only open for so long. Those doors are shutting down. God, what are you going to do? How, how can I know for sure? Have you ever been through a season of life where you just wanted to look at God and say, look, I know what you said, and it's not like I really, like I've, I've got I, I, just a little bit of doubt here, but not like a huge lot of doubt. I just, can you just give me something to reassure me? Can you give me a little encouraging word? Can you let me know for sure how I can know that what you said is going to take place in my life. You know, we go through seasons like that sometimes. I go through seasons like that sometimes where God will speak to me and I'll step out. And at first, I got my sword drawn and I'm ready just to conquer and go out. And sometimes life can happen. And you see things not lining up how you thought they would. And sometimes I go to God and I say, look, I know what you said. And it's not like I doubt you. I know that you got this. I know you got this. But man, can you breathe some life into me? Can you encourage me just a little bit? Can you give me something out of your word? Can you, can you send something to me just to reassure me and just to let me know? To know for sure so I can be fully convinced that what you said is going to take place in my life. This is where Abram is right now. And God gives him... A life-changing, groundbreaking answer to this question. And I believe that it can apply to all of us here today. You guys want to know what God said next? This is going to be powerful. Go ahead and put that next group of scripture up there. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Hmm. So Abraham presented all these to him, killed him, cut him, animal down the middle, laid the half side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. There you go. I hope that blessed you like it blessed me. I hope that rocked your world like it rocked mine when I read it. He says, God, how can I know for sure that you're with me and this is going to happen? And God looks at him and says, bring me a heifer. What? Like in an incredibly vulnerable time, God does what God does and just kind of speaks obscure. Bring me a heifer, at least to us. 
Because if you don't understand what's happening here, you completely miss what God is doing. You realize that when they wrote the Bible, it wasn't written in Georgia. Right? And it wasn't written in the year 2018. It was written a long time ago in a very different culture where different things happened and different phrases meant different things. I want to dig into what God is doing here. Because if you notice, when God says, go get all these animals, Abraham goes right to work. He gets the stuff. He knows exactly what to do. He starts cutting things and laying things out and arranging them so. So there was an understanding there that we're not privy to. We're kind of outside looking in. So God was doing something. You know what he was doing? He was setting up a covenant that was going to take place between he and Abram or Abraham. Now, back then, covenant was the strongest form of commitment you could give to somebody. And if you think about it, back in Abram's day, you didn't have police forces. You didn't have protection, really. Um, you didn't uh, really have courts set up. You had a bunch of nomads and tribes traveling around. So if you don't have a court, you can't really have contracts because there's nothing to uphold a contract or agreement. So what people would do is they would make a covenant with a person or they would make a covenant with a king or the two, you would see two tribes come together and make covenant agreements with one another because it, is, it was the strongest form of contract or agreement that two people could make with one another. And this is what God begins to do with Abram. And I wanted to walk you through this morning what that ceremony would have looked like, probably. Uh, because it's absolutely powerful what God is doing here for Abram. You guys, want, you, you guys want in on this this morning? All right. So what you would do is you would have a king and a vassal. A vassal would be someone who would pledge himself in loyalty to the king. And they would have a covenant together. Or you would have two tribes come together to be in covenant with one another. I need two guys to help me out this morning uh, real quick. You want to help me out, Russell? Come on, my man. You got it. I need a second guy. I need a second guy. Come on, Mr. Anthony. I'm going to look incredibly small here on stage in just a minute. So you are going to hold this sword. You, sir, are going to hold this. Every time I teach on covenant, I use this illustration because it's just perfect for this. So you have... Two tribes that would come together. You would have a warrior tribe. Okay? So from here over, you guys are going to be part of the warrior tribe. Okay? Can I hear a war cry for the warriors? Arr. All right. Arr, there we go. From here over, you guys are going to be part of the farmer tribe. Okay? Can I get a war cry for the farmers? Yeehaw, right? That's what it's going to be. All right. Yeehaw for the farmers. So you've got the warriors and the farmers. Now, the warriors are awesome in battle. They conquer everybody, but they got a problem. They don't know how to farm. They don't know how to cultivate the land. They don't know how to cook that good. So they're great fighters, but they're starving to death, all except Russell. But they're all starving to death. Russell's eating good. The, the fighters are starving. You got the farmers who know how to cultivate the land. They know how to grow the crops, the problem is, they don't know how to defend themselves, so everybody's stealing their lunch money. They're whipping them, taking their food, taking their crops. So you got the warriors that show up with the swords, 
and you got the farmers that show up with the hose, I guess. So there we go. All right. And so what they'll do is they'll come together to help each other out, and he'll say, hey, if you work with us, we'll protect you. And he says, okay, if you protect us, then we'll help feed you. So you got two tribes that would come together, and they would go through this covenant ceremony to join their tribes together to look out for one another and covenant with one another. I want to walk you through what would happen. The first thing that would happen in this ceremony is this. They would, go ahead and put number one up there. They would, uh, they would choose a representative. We got them. We got the warrior and we got the farmer. And this representative would stand in for the entire tribe. You know, like old school, when two armies would fight, they would send out a champion so the champions could fight and decide who won the battle so that they wouldn't have a massive loss of life. It would just be those two people duking it out, not thousands of soldiers getting killed. It would be the same kind of concept. They would send one person to represent the entire tribe. Not just the tribe that was there, but all of the descendants of the tribes, generations to come. These guys would represent. So it was a big honor. So they would come up and they would represent the tribes. And, and, and what would happen next is this. The second thing would be that they would um, exchange their items. So the farmer, you would give the representative your hoe. And you would give the farmer your sword. They would exchange items. And he would be saying, all right, my sword is now your sword. And he'd be saying, this sounds weird. My hoe is now your hoe, I guess. It works like that. Having fun in church today. So they would switch. Your friends are now my friends. Your enemies are now my enemies. And he's pledging, you will never go hungry because my service is now yours. And he's saying, you will never have to worry about anything coming against you because if they do, I'm there and I'll defeat them for you. We're going to work together. The third thing that would happen is this. After they'd exchange items, they would exchange garments. Y'all go ahead and swap clothes real fast. That'd be, that'd be, <laughs> I did that one time and somebody actually started. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't need to, we don't need to know you that way. So they would exchange garments. Now this was huge back then because most of the tribes would dress in the same kind of garment. Same kind of colors and colors and styles of robes would signify a tribe. Okay. Because um, they couldn't just roll down to the mall and buy a new outfit anytime they wanted to. So kind of stuck with that. But clothing would signify tribes. So when they would exchange garments, they were exchanging identities. When people look at you, they're going to see me. When people look at me, they're going to see you. I now identify with you. You now identify as me. We are one in each other is what they were saying. Now what they did next... Gets a, little, gets a little gross. Uh, the fourth thing they would do is this. They would take the animal that they would have, and they would cut it down the middle, and they would lay the sides in between them. This is what Abraham begins to do for God. Cuts the animals in half. The only time they would cut an animal down the middle like this would be for a covenant ceremony. Abraham knew exactly what God was doing. So they cut this animal in half, 
And they would go through this process of saying the covenant vows. And they would walk in kind of a figure eight pattern around the animals. And it would kind of look like this. I got a picture I'll show you. It would kind of look like this as they're walking. The animals would be in the middle. So they would walk around saying their vows. I enter into covenant with you and I pledge that your enemies are my enemies. Your friends are my friends. I will honor and uphold the covenant that we're making today, whatever the vows would be. They'd be walking around, and they would walk in this figure eight pattern. You know what that symbol is? That's an infinity symbol because the covenant and the vows that they're making here wasn't just for today. It was forever. Forever. Sealed in the blood of these animals. Now, when they were done making the vows, they would stand and they would face each other in the middle of the animals. Now, when they're standing in the middle of the animals, I'll move over here so y'all can see me. Uh, so when they were standing in the middle of the animals, what would they be standing in if those animals were cut in half? They'd be standing in blood, making a covenant to one another. And they would say this. They would say, if I fail to keep any part of this covenant, then may it be done to me as it's done to these animals here. And then he would say, if I fail to keep any part of this, may it be done to me as it's done to these animals here. This was a serious thing. There wasn't just a political move because if you failed to keep your covenant, that's death to you, your tribe. Listen now. And the generations to come. If we break this vow, we're wiped out, is what they're saying. That's how serious this commitment is that they're making to one another. So after they've done this, what they'll do next is, it gets, it gets a little weird too. Uh, they would pull out, uh, put up number five there. They would take out uh, a knife or you know, use a sword and they would cut their hands. So shink and shink. They would put a cut on their hands. Sometimes they would put a cut on their arm right here, and they would lock hands with one another. Go ahead and, and lock hands. Boom. And they would say, my blood is now your blood. Your blood is now my blood. Our tribes are now one. We're one with each other. And we're sealing this commitment with our blood. This is powerful stuff, especially when you see the bigger picture of what this represents. So after they had done this, then they would do something that was kind of weird. They would get down like all this isn't to us today. But they would get down and they would get some ash off the ground or some dirt. And they would rub it in the cuts that they had just made on themselves. And they would do that so that the wound wouldn't heal properly. And so it would make a good scar. So that it would make a mark on their body. To represent the covenant that they had made with one another. This is where the concept of waving comes from. Actually, by the way, back way back when. Because if you saw somebody coming up, you would wave or hold up your hand and show a covenant mark. And they would know that even if they outnumbered you, they better not mess with you. Because you represent a covenant relationship with something and they might not want to mess with it. So it was protection and it was also identity at the same time. 
um, after they had gone through this and they had rubbed the stuff in the wound, what they would do next is they would all get together after the fact and they would have a covenant dinner. And they would all get together and every time, every time, bread and wine would be served at this covenant meal. And the bread would, always, would, would usually be symbolic of, again, an exchanging of bodies and the wine, uh, an exchange of blood. I drink you into myself. I eat you into myself is what they would do. And some cultures would get really gross and they'd actually put some of their blood in the wine. That's jacked up. I wouldn't do that, but that's what they did. Um, so they would seal it all with a covenant meal. And sometimes they would exchange names and join their names together of the two tribes. So you'd have the Russell guys and you'd have the Anthony guys. So you would have the, the Ranthonies, I guess is what you'd be, tribe Ranthony. Um, they would come together and exchange, and sometimes they would exchange firstborn sons with one another just to signify the unity that the two tribes would have now. So you, at the end of the day, would have a group of farmers and a group of warriors together, well-fed and well-protected in covenant with one another. That's what would happen. Give these guys a hand for helping out this morning. Appreciate you. <clears throat> so... So they would all do that. So when God tells Abram what to do, and Abram starts to do this, this is so powerful because God is, is making a level of commitment to Abram that is astounding when you stop and think about it. The God of the universe, the God of gods, is putting himself into the confinement of a an agreement, a covenant with a person. What's powerful also in this story is where Abram eventually ends up being while all this is happening. Genesis 15, 12. I'm going somewhere with this, guys. Um, they go start this, this ceremony. The sun was going down. Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. Um, in the next group of scriptures in Genesis 15, 17, yeah. Sun went down, darkness fell. Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Now, while they're passing through the halves of the carcasses, what's taking place in the covenant ceremony? Y'all remember? The vows are being spoken. The commitment is being made. But Abram is stuck over on the side in a trance. Like he can see what's going on, but he's not participating in what's happening. You've got a torch and a fire pot moving in between the two halves. The torch and the fire pot here represent the presence of God. A manifestation of the presence of God in two distinct ways. Are you ready for this? One for God, and the other one was there to represent Abram and the covenant process. God said, look, I know you. I know you're weak. I know you're going to mess this up. I know you're not going to be able to fulfill your part of this covenant. You're not going to be able to fulfill your part of the vows that we're taking here. 
So I'm going to take your place. And I'm going to make a covenant with myself on your behalf. And I'm going to fulfill every part of the vows myself. Because I know you'll fail. So where you're weak, I'm going to be strong. And I'm going to fill in and make this vow with myself so that the promises are not dependent upon you. They're only dependent upon my ability to keep up both ends of our agreement in this ceremony. Holy moly. Abram said, how can I know for sure that you're with me? And God makes the most powerful agreement and contract with him that he could possibly make, that Abram could possibly understand. He says, this is what I'll do to show you. And I'll go an extra step, and I'll put myself in your place so that if, this is, this is mind-blowing to me, this is what God was saying, I'm so committed to this. I'm so committed to this covenant. I'm going to handle every part of it. And I'm going to put my very existence as an eternal God on the line. Because if I fail to keep this covenant, I'm saying, may it be done to me as it's done to this. I would rather cease to exist than fail to keep my covenant with you. This is what God is doing for Abram. I believe I would have felt a little bit better about the situation if I was Abram. If it were me, I'd have felt a little bit better about it. From this point on, God's language towards Abram and his descendants changes. You start to see covenant language introduced a lot in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Um, you see God say stuff to him like, uh, my strength will be your strength. Um, uh, those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse you see that covenant mark after the covenant um, God institutes. I don't understand why he did this, but he brought circumcision in to be a covenant symbol uh, on, on the bodies of the guys. Um, I'm sure they were all real excited about that, but that's what he chose to do. The shedding of blood, the marking of the body as a symbol of the covenant between the two. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. What he did. So when Jesus in Luke 22 is having this meal with his disciples and he says, This is the cup. Put Luke 22 up there again for them for, to read it. So he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to him, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he says, in the same way, he took the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The new covenant. So Jesus is referencing this covenant that took place between God and Abraham. And he says, I'm making a new covenant with you. A new covenant with you. You see, it, the Bible says this in, in Galatians. Um, it says... Go ahead and put that up there. Galatians 3.29, it says, And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Because we're operating in a new covenant with Jesus. 
You see covenant language all through the New Testament. God's strength is our strength. Um, you see uh, an exchange of identities in a way. You see that um, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. It says this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes on our sin. We take on his robes of righteousness. Covenant language all through scripture. We give him our weakness. He gives us his grace as strength. Cut the armor of God. You can just go on and on with the symbolisms in the New Testament to signify the covenant that's taking place. Because all of scripture is about a guy named Jesus. Everything that God did for Abraham, he did in a way to foreshadow what Jesus was going to be doing for us. You hear me? All about, all about Jesus. When Jesus hung on a cross, he hung there over a pool of his own blood. And he stood in for us in a symbolic covenant ceremony where he was a sacrifice and filled in for us. And then sat on the throne. All the parts he fulfilled for us. Because he knew we couldn't do it on our own. He did every part. He did every role. To seal a new covenant of relationship, of grace, and identity. Over 160 times in the New Testament, Paul talks about how in, in ways we are identified with Christ. Christ is in us and we are in Christ. Two, one, in covenant. Think about this. When Jesus was crucified, he died, he was put in a grave. He was resurrected from the dead, right? Rose again. He had a new body, risen from the dead. But he still had the holes in his hands and his feet and in his side. Have you ever wondered why in being brought back to life with a new body, those things weren't healed? Covenant mark. That would remain to remind us the promise and the commitment that he has for us. That he will never fail. That he will never forsake. That his promises will come to pass in our lives. That everything he's spoken and everything in that Bible is 100% true. And he's so committed to keeping his covenant with us that he would rather cease to exist than fail to keep his covenant with us as his children. That's powerful to me. We're going to take communion this morning as a church. Ushers, if you will, prepare to serve the people. And here's why.
Because I want us to be reminded today as a church of the covenant that Jesus has with us. Because when we take communion, a lot of times we focus on the sacrifice of Jesus and how the bread represents his body that was broken for us, and it does. And how the, the grape juice or the wine um, represents his blood that was spilt for us, and it does. But this covenant meal, this covenant meal isn't just about that. You see, when you made a covenant back in the day, the tribes would get back together maybe once a year or every few years, and they would have a covenant meal together just to remind and to renew the commitment that they have to one another. So when we take communion, this is what I want you to think. It's not just about the sacrifice of Jesus, but we take communion to remember the covenant, to remember the promise to remember that everything that Jesus said we could have, we can have. And everything that Jesus said we can do, we can do. And everything that God has spoken over our lives will come to pass because we have the strongest form of commitment that can be given by God to man in covenant. And he fulfilled every part of it so that it wouldn't be dependent upon us all we have to do is be obedient to follow what he asks us to do. And he'll fill in the blanks. He'll make it happen. If we seek first the kingdom, he will take care of all the other stuff. It is dependent upon him. And God is saying, listen, be encouraged today. And I'm here telling you, God is saying with his covenant with us, he would rather cease to exist than not keep his word to you. That's how serious he is about the promise he made to you. That's how serious he is about what he says in his word. That's how serious he is about what he's spoken to us. He's serious about it. So when we take communion, it's not just a reminder of the sacrifice. It's a reminder of the promise. It's a reminder of the authority that we have in him. It's a reminder of the strength that we have in him. It's a reminder of the grace that he gives to us. Because God is just that awesome. Can we give God praise for that this morning? Why'd you go through all that? Because some of us need to be reminded today. That when God makes a promise... He keeps the promise because for him to not keep the promise would be to deny his word and put himself under the penalty of breaking his covenant with us.